Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm excited to have on our show CEO and COO of Heritage Property Management, Gavin Cobb and Mike Wallace. Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, real estate property management today. And I always love to talk about real estate because it's such an important part of the um, the Georgia and the Atlanta economy. So um, Mike and Gavin, tell us a little bit about where Heritage actually sits in the market for property management in, in the Atlanta area. We specialize in the management of mandatory residential community associations, uh, be it a high-rise condominium, master plan communities, townhome communities, essentially anything that's residential that has mandatory association fees and restrictive covenants, we uh, are retained by the volunteer board of directors to manage the day-to-day business affairs. So basically you collect the dues. Do you like make sure that the lawn gets cut, like all those kind of basic things so that the People who are living in that community don't have to manage those things themselves. Correct. Great. What are the trends, you know, in whether real estate or specific to property management that you think CEO listeners would be interested in knowing? What's been really interesting is the uh, delinquency rates. Uh, delinquency rates for the communities that we manage have dropped significantly. So, you know, as separate business entities, because all these associations are nonprofit corporations their financial health has improved dramatically in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. We're also seeing a trend of uh, a lot of people uh, beyond the traditional millennials and empty nesters, actually families that are choosing to move in town, uh, you know, selling their five, 6,000 square foot homes in the exurbs and moving into uh, townhomes in, in, in the closer inner city. Not not significant, but we are seeing more than we've ever seen. And I think it's primarily driven through the commute times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, everybody knows that Atlanta traffic is, is dreadful. So I think that you're coming up on 20 years. Correct. This yeah. August, 20 yeah. years. Congratulations of, of 20 years um, with Heritage. So you've seen like many cycles, including this last pretty difficult um, economic cycle back in 2008, you know, delinquency rates, uh, and you can speak to this. I imagine that uh, some of the delinquency rate improvement is a function of the fact that the economy is improving as well. Correct. And I believe it's also a function of, I would say, underwriting has improved uh, in terms of qualified homeowners, because an association, uh, if they do not receive funds from the members, they can't maintain the common area. The pool can't be cleaned. It can't be opened. Uh, the clubhouse lights can't be turned on. The grass and the front entrance can't be cut. So it becomes a downward spiral. So you have a community where, say, you have 50% of the people who are not paying their dues. It's very, very difficult to maintain the aesthetics and the property values just plummet. We're seeing, I would say, uh, more qualified home, homeowners that are able to, to pay the dues. Mm. What was it like during the recession? So just as a comparison. We saw a lot of broken communities, essentially bankrupt communities that were unable to 
maintain the basic upkeep of the communities. And uh, it, was, it was actually very scary. Uh, many times banks were appointed, uh, they took receivership and they retained us to just bare bones, run the day to day. In, in some instances, we shut down swimming pools. I mean, we put a cover on the pool and the pool was closed for three or four years. But those days seem to be behind us. Mm-hmm. And with regard to the, the moving of the people moving back in town, um, is it mainly empty nesters that are moving back? I would say primarily empty nesters and, of course, millennials. Uh, you see a lot of uh, young couples choosing to buy their first home in town as opposed to a brand new cookie cutter, if you will, way out in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say probably 15, 10 years ago, you would see young couples uh, buying the newer homes out in the suburbs. And they still are, but there's a definite trend towards buying a much smaller home inside the perimeter. So how are these trends really affecting your business? It's a very interesting question. Uh, I try. No, it, it's it actually been very positive because uh, we geographically try to assign properties by portfolio manager. So we have what we call portfolio managers. We are in the community association management business, so we want the manager to be a part of that community. So, for example, if we manage a portfolio of properties, say in Decatur, we would preferably like to assign a property manager that lives in the Decatur area because that person is a part of the community. So in that sense, we're we're much more able to become a part of that community. And uh, especially with the trend with the the incorporation of cities that you're seeing. You know, I've been, I've lived in Atlanta for 39 years. And I remember, because I went to school in Wisconsin, when I'd meet people from Chicago, they were so specific, they would say, I'm from Wilmette, I'm from Highland Park, I'm from Evanston. I was like, well, it's all Chicago to me. Whereas in those days, everything was Atlanta. And no one was really neighborhood proud. Now, it's like, well, I live in Dunwoody, I live in Johns Creek, I live in Swanee, I live in Brookhaven or Buckhead. It's, I it's live in Grant Park. Or Grant Park or, you know. <laughs> I was like or waiting the, for the, the, <laughs> Or the Fourth Ward. Or, you know, people are very neighborhood proud which is a relative new trend for Atlanta. It's been that way for a long time in cities like Chicago, New York. So it's been really interesting to see that evolution happen here. Mm-hmm. And Mike, as you're kind of coming into the business and watching it grow, what are some of the trends that you're, you're seeing or that you're paying attention to or that you, you think are really affecting the business? You know, I think it's um, a lot about um, how our customers are changing. As our customers, uh, you know, they range in age. Obviously, any homeowner can be a customer. So um, the expectations surrounding communication and responsiveness <clears throat> are changing significantly. Um, you know, so you'll, we'll have uh, the younger group, you know, expecting to be able to report issues uh, that they're having in their uh, associations uh, via an app. They'd love to just go on an app. They'd love to go to a web-based system and report their issues. They don't want to pick up the phone and call. But then, of course, we have, you know, the the older set, you know, uh, late 40s, 50s, 60s and up um, that prefer to pick up the phone and call. So as a business, uh, I'm finding that we really need to focus on the different avenues into the customer service you know, and, and delivering customer service. So and it really does come. The biggest complaint in this industry is responsiveness. So 
uh, one of the most important things we can do is uh, invest in our people, identify the right community association manager, as Gavin uh, had indicated. It's just, this is a people business, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, one thing, it, you know, I think we'll talk about as we go on here is, is um, what's important in this business. Um, and it's going to be, you know, finding the right people to execute here. And, and to get back to kind of the specifics of this market and what I'm seeing, you know, regardless of where people are living, the metro Atlanta area is, it's amazing. I mean, I recall reading in the AJC a couple of weeks ago about the population projections in Atlanta. You still read the AJC? Well, you know, I, online. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do still receive the Thursday through Sunday AJC. <laughs> you know, it, it's the trends on where people live aren't really significantly impacting our business because we still see, you know, the that metro Atlanta area uh, growing, you know, up Buford, down in uh, Fayetteville, Noonan, you know, out Conyers and beyond. I mean, so we, we consider the entire metro Atlanta area our market. And uh, so people live everywhere in, in here. And regardless of whether it's a high-rise condo or a big uh, or a small homeowners association, you know, those are customers that, that um, are looking for companies like Heritage Property Management to help them. Do you know how many units your overall footprint represents? Like how many households? About 60,000. Wow. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so as you think about customer service, right, how do you build a customer service infrastructure that can meet the needs of 60,000 households? You know, it's interesting. That's something that we're tackling right now. You know, we're really strategizing and thinking about how we do this. Um, I think this industry in general uh, has been set up, you know, to, I mean, this, this is an industry which really didn't kick off until the mid nineties in, in Atlanta, I think. Would I be correct, Gavin? In, in That's, saying correct. That? Okay. That's correct. Okay. Um, so this is a young industry. You know, there is a professional designation, uh, that's, that's governed by the Georgia real estate commission. So it's the same institute or, or entity that's managing, um, brokerage licenses and salesperson's licenses. So now there's this other designation, community association manager, and it can actually be a profession. So, but it's a nascent profession and the expertise isn't necessarily prevalent. Um, so we're trying to figure out ways to um, identify the best people that can become community association managers. Because if we were to simply rely on uh, trying to attract people into the business that are already community association managers with experience, we're really limiting um, that population of potential employees, potential people that can help <coughs> in this industry. So um, I came into this business just in March of 2015, so just over a year right now. And um, Gavin didn't hire me for expertise in community association management. He's the expert in community association management. And we have other leaders in the company that are the experts in community association management. And so the question you ask about how are we addressing customer service, that's one of the key issues that me as op I as oper or chief operating officer am tackling right now. You know, So what I'm bringing to the table for Gavin is um, really a complementary skill set, right? Um, I think one of the issues or one of the topics that we wanted to discuss today was how you know, why did Gavin decide he needed a chief operating officer and um, how is that helping him mm -hmm. achieve his objectives right now? So, uh, and uh, one of the things I'll say is that Gavin went through a, uh, well, he was, Gavin is self-aware and that's one thing that really attracted me to Gavin. And we went through a significant process with a recruiting firm 
to identify, you know, uh, for each of us to become comfortable with each other before we decided to go into this, you know, uh, wholeheartedly. Um, and that was about a three or four month process, I believe, uh, Gavin. And so, you know, for the other CEOs out there that are kind of looking for, um, you know, if they have objectives of growing their business and they are self-aware and they realize that they don't have all the answers and they, they have, they're humble, they have that humility. I mean, those are the things that, um, I think are going to take heritage to the next level. We, we have a CEO that has all of those qualities and I recognize those things. And I think Gavin recognized the same things in me. Um, but at the same time, you know, he needed somebody to come into the business uh, with a different background, with a different tool set, with a different perspective on business. Um, and so far, so good. It's worked. It's worked fantastically. So, you know, so now we're working together to address the future of the business. And one of those things is how do we deliver a better customer experience? So, yeah. So in talking about that, can I, just to have, have myself and the listeners just understand the basic kind of layout, can any of these 60,000 people call at any time or are you just working with like the, the board? Any of the 60,000 or more people can call. Um, so, you know, our... The pool's not working. The lawn needs to be cut. The water's right. all, like all that. That's right. And there's a big difference between condo associations and homeowner associations. A condo association has significantly more common area, you know, so a water leak from a a resident above another resident leaks down, you know, five floors. I mean, so those, those are, those are bigger issues, you know, where you really do need that community uh, uh, association management expertise to tackle those kind of issues. But anybody can call in, any homeowner can call in. So we have to be prepared to address those issues. And, and, you know, if we're dealing with voice calls, you know, those, those phone calls can become emotional. So we need people that really, you know, have that kind of, that can, that can handle that. So, I mean, it's going to be important to us as we move forward to continually strengthen our, our employee base. Uh, and, and what do you, I mean, if you just want to wax poetic on what, what is your philosophy around customer service? I mean, how do you think about delivering high quality customer service to that population, to your population? Um, I mean, ultimately, the customer has to be satisfied, right? And we, we have to be, um, I mean, we want our customers to be happy. I mean, so to address further who our customer really is, I mean, we work at the pleasure of the board. I mean, just, I mean, it's a, each association is a small corporation, you know, and so the board of directors is typically also acting as the officers, you know, the management uh, executing for the association. Uh, they've hired Heritage Associate or Heritage Property Management uh, to perform services, you know, obviously we can come and be experts on how to collect dues, but realistically the customer is the association, right? And it's all the homeowners in that association because we need to be, we know that the board needs to be working, uh, to promote or to better that association, to maintain property values, to contribute to quality of life. So, you know, if we're working with a board of directors, uh, that we see, isn't promoting those things that we know are important to other homeowners. We have to take that into consideration how we approach and try to advise the board. But ultimately, the board of directors is in control. I mean, they could terminate heritage property management um, uh, according to the contract. And, um, you know, but we take the approach that we want to advise the board uh, so that our ultimate customer, all of the homeowners and that community association benefit. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of art. It's not all science for, mm -hmm. for sure. And, and any, any, typically any homeowner 
that's not delinquent can be on the board of directors. So you're dealing with a wide variety of personalities that, that sit on the board of directors. So that's why it's important to, you know, I'm discovering it's an art. A lot of times we have to step back and our leaders have to decide who is the best community association management or manager in our employee base, you know, to address or to help this particular board of directors. We have to identify who are the influencers on the board of directors. You're going to have um, presidents on the board that are um, retired, um, that are completely, that are totally active, you know, and, and really want a partner. You're going to have um, uh, board or board members that really have no interest in doing anything, you know, and want us to make all of the decisions. Um, so we have to, it's just a, a wide variety of needs out there and boards of directors. So uh, it's hard. It's, it, we can't be a cookie cutter organization. One size does not fit all. And, and, and we recognize that. And we're working, you know, again, we, it, it's going to be an evolution uh, because I, I think we are at a significant point of change in this industry. You know, I just I want to step back and say, you know, why this industry is it's it's even though it's a, na a nationwide industry, it, it doesn't exist everywhere. I mean, I came from I spent the decade of the 90s in Connecticut, uh, in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Now, my wife and I bought our first house in 1997 in Fairfield, Connecticut, and it was not part of a, a, a community association. Right. We could change our mailbox. We could paint our house, whatever color we wanted. <coughs> Um, you know, we could do anything we wanted, but you know, when we, uh, you know, I had a great job opportunity that brought me to Atlanta. I don't regret it at all. That company didn't succeed, but, um, I love the Atlanta area. And when my wife and I, uh, you know, we were, you know, young parents, uh, with a two-year-old and another child on the way at the time, when we were reviewing the Atlanta marketplace and figuring out how people lived here, you know, it was exciting. You know, it's like, oh, what, we have a, a shared swimming pool and we've got tennis courts and, Oh, this is fantastic. But we didn't really know what we were getting into when we came in. We didn't understand covenant restrictions and we didn't understand uh, everything about it. But but we accepted it. I mean, we a lot of times in this industry, we're dealing with homeowners that you know, don't really un they don't really understand what an association is. They don't understand what covenant restrictions are. And that's another that's another problem that we we have to solve is educating the homeowners, letting, making them understand, you know, why you can't extend your driveway necessarily, why you can't, you know, paint your door, you know, bright purple. Uh, it's, 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 and it's a fun industry. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of funny stories, but we understand that, you know, the home is, you know, the most significant investment of the, uh, of the majority of our customers that they're going to make in their lives. And it's very important. People get emotional. And so, it's just a unique business here and, and, and how we address this. And, you know, we're, we're working on it. We're yeah. working on it. And so, Gavin, you want to weigh in on, on like, what's, what, what, does, what is customer service at Heritage? What does serving your customers really look like? To me, I think it's very important to have a servant's heart. You know, you have to uh, check your ego at the door. It's uh, people are calling. It's like a hotel, right? You check into a hotel room. You call the front desk, you're not calling to tell them how clean the room is. Uh, you know, you, there's usually an issue. And that's why people call us. And we have to understand that and be empathetic. Empathy is a huge, huge part of customer service and a sense of urgency. And just take care of the problem. Address it promptly. Do it in an empathetic manner. So how do you hire for a servant's heart? That's a very interesting thing. You know, it's, uh, it's a very good question. 
So we go, our interview process, we'd like to bring in people from various departments uh, to interview the potential candidate. One of the big questions I always ask a potential candidates, what did you learn from your parents? And it's a very revealing question. It, it, it tells a lot. Of, to me, I had read it in, I think it was Inc. Magazine. Uh, I had read this article. And I think it's a brilliant question because it tells you a lot about what it kind of opens up the hood, if you will, and you really see a person for who they are based on how Jesus. they answer that question. <laughs> yeah. So long-winded answer. But to me, yes, a servant's heart, a pleaser, the ego needs to be checked at the door. It's very, very important in a customer service business where your customers are calling you with issues. That's what property management is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Well, I, I love to turn the conversation to talk about these people issues and how um, you think about building the team. So tell me a little bit about bringing Mike onto your team, Gavin, and like how you made that decision and how that worked. So I want to echo what Mike said about self-awareness. You know, to all the CEOs out there, I think it's very important that uh, you make a very honest decision and say, do I own a lifestyle business or do I own a growth business? And there's a profound difference. And I had realized we had grown up when I bought the company 20 years ago, we had uh, two employees and I'd grown it to 120 employees. We're now at about 140, but I'd grown it to 120 employees. And frankly, the business had outgrown me. And it's a very, uh, it's a very hard and honest conversation. I think you have to have with yourself. You have to look in the mirror and say, okay, I've built this to a point. I can keep it where it is. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful lifestyle. But you either grow or you stagnate. I don't think there's anything in between. And I knew I wanted to grow. Not for growth's sake, but let's face it. We're competitive as a CEO, and we want to do the best job we can do. So it had gotten to a point where it uh, it had outgrown me. And I, you know, I... I my background is public accounting, uh, but I'm an entrepreneur in the sense that I'm a salesperson. I'm, a, I'm definitely more of a, uh, an extrovert. Operationally, you know, I'd grown the business from basically two employees to 120. I needed a person that had that skill set that could grow the business operationally. And I was just went through a period where I was being courted. I was being courted by potential purchasers, people mm-hmm. who wanted to acquire the company. You know, I looked at it very seriously and I looked at the reasons. I'm like, why am I selling? Uh, it wasn't monetarily uh, incentivized. It wasn't about the money. I was wanting to sell because I wanted help. I wanted help. Uh, and these potential suitors were telling me, well, we'll bring in you know, all this expertise. We'll help you take it to the next level. And I went back and had this long conversation with my wife and I said, you know, why can't I bring in the expertise without selling the business? Anyhow, long, short story. Um, eventually, we went to a recruiting firm, uh, something I've never done, uh, just because I grew this business with a shoestring budget. And the idea of going to a middleman and paying them a fee to find someone just didn't sit with me. But when I went through the process and went through it logically and intellectually, it made perfect sense. And like Mike said, it took about, you know, three, four months. And uh, 
we met one another. You know, Mike at the time was very, you know, gainfully employed, wasn't necessarily looking for anything. Uh, but this opportunity was presented to him. And uh, we met one another. And I knew in the first 30 seconds. That's great. Uh, you know, when I met Mike, you know, we met with probably six candidates. Um, but I knew in the first 30 seconds. And the best advice I got from my recruiter is don't focus on the expertise culturally. Is this a person you can go on vacation with? Is this a person you can have lunch with five days a week, four weeks a month, 12 months a year? That's the person you want. And that's what I focused on in the beginning. And I knew it 30 seconds in. Mm. And uh, it's fun again. I'm actually enjoying working on the business. And I'm working much, much less in the business. Mm. Gavin, I'm very interested. What were the telltale signs that the business had outgrown you? How did you know? I, I was, it, it was consuming every hour of every day. It was consuming me. You know, we would get a new account and I wasn't excited. Uh, I wasn't excited. It wasn't exciting me anymore. I was burnt out. You know, you look at it intellectually. You sit there and you look at your financials and you say, why am I not happy? This business is thriving financially. But it was just literally sucking the life out of me. And it just didn't make sense. But I knew something had to change. And, uh, you know, I think there's a fallacy out there that somehow financial success equals emotional success. It certainly helps. But, <laughs> but it, it just, I knew it wouldn't be sustainable. And I knew I wanted to grow it and sustain it and be proud of it. So uh, I, I, to answer your question perfectly honestly, it got to a point where I didn't know some of the people's names that were working for me because I was just sitting behind a desk, grindstone, taking darts all day, just reacting. I was in a reactive mode. I wanted to get ahead of the curve. And uh, I knew I needed help. Hmm. Those were the telltale signs. Yeah. Really, honestly, when there were some people I would see in the hallway, I had no idea who they were. I mean, that will continue, right? If you get to 20,000 people. Understood, but... I mean, I'm proud to say I do know everyone's name right. at this point uh, <laughs> because I'm spending more time walking the hallways. I'm not sitting there stuck behind my desk. I, I, I've got time to work on the business. Great. And Great. Mike has enabled that to happen because we have complementary. This is the key. We have complementary skill sets. Mm. And how did you know, Mike, in the interview that this was going to work? Um, it was really recognizing Gavin's self-awareness and his transparency in the initial conversations with me. Gavin was fully transparent about what he thought the problems of the business were. And, um, you know, Gavin for, you know, I think for about a period of two years, he, he had recognized th these things, you know, when you said you were at 120 employees and, um, you know, Gavin was self-aware and he tried to make decisions at the time, you know, before resorting to a recruiting firm. So he tried to make uh, decisions. He tried to take people internally in the business and, and, and empower them. So, so I could see, you know, via the story that Gavin was telling me that he was, he was trying for a period of time, a long period of time to improve the business. So I could see that he was serious about wanting to improve the business and he just hadn't identified the right person or he hadn't taken the approach of, you know, identifying what he called a partner. I mean, one of the first things he said to me was, Mike, I'm looking for a partner in this business, right? I mean, Gavin's my boss. He's the CEO of the company and he's in charge. But one of the things that he promised in the beginning 
was that he would empower me to make decisions. And that's been a big key. He empowered me to make decisions. Uh, one of my first recommendations to him after coming into the company and um, kind of assessing, I spent very little time behind my desk. I went and met everybody in the company. You know, I was able to identify, again, with Gavin's help, um, some key people in the company that we thought we could promote to positions of leadership. It would improve the internal communications, uh, cross-functional communications. About five weeks in, I didn't know how long it would take to make these decisions. About five weeks in, I went to Gavin with this recommendation that we promote a, a, a set of people to VP level positions and, and create uh, these functional areas that the VPs were responsible for. And, you know, if Gavin had said no to that initially, um, you know, I don't know if I'd still be here. I mean, it, you know, if, if he said no and said, and we work together and, 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 and work something else out, that would be fine. But he didn't take the position of, of no, we just can't do that. Right. He, so he actually did empower me to make those decisions. And ever since, you know, that was just proof to me right away that Gavin was serious about improving this business. So he, you know, stepped outside of his comfort zone, let somebody else come in and make recommendations and take them seriously and, and execute them. And, um, that was a, that was a big deal. And, and I think it, it, it all comes to that complimentary skill set. It comes down to empowerment and, you know, a lot of it, the foundation is Gavin's self-awareness and, and his humility, right? we both don't have all the answers, right? I mean, it takes both of us coming together and it takes the people we're surrounding ourselves with that are in those VP level positions and on down throughout the company. Uh, we take that same approach. You know, all of these VPs, we're empowering them to do their jobs. You know, we're not dictators here. I mean, we, we uh, believe a great deal in collaboration and communication. And I know those things, you know, sometimes sound trite, but we take them seriously, and we we really try to give substance to those things and make them real in our company. How, um, how does that look? So, I mean, there's always this balance between empowerment and then having people go off the ranch. Right. So how do you strike that balance, and what does that look like in the day-to-day -day operations of the business? Um, well, you know, definitely, it, I think the key is that we're always communicating. Um, um, I think that Gavin can view and I can view, you know, uh, uh, because we're so aware of what's going on in the company, I think we're able to, and we, and because we, um, we really promote relationship building in the company that I think the risk of that happening is lessened because, you know, we have enough formalized meetings to communicate. Um, we're developing friendships or at least collegial relationships across the company. Um, so I think the company is of the size right now where it works. It's easy to keep things from going off the rails as long as we're paying attention and, and it's, it's working and, and it's identifying the right people in the first place, uh, to make sure those things don't happen. So, you know, you're definitely empowered, but you're working as partners too. Like not every, we, we promote the idea of not everybody has the answers in the company. And, and we're working together on solutions. And uh, as long as people have those those skill sets, including humility, I, I think that things won't go off the rails. As long as we're identifying the right people, and we're you know, and we're correcting too. As we we if we make decisions and they're wrong, I think that we recognize those things early, and we're not afraid to course correct as we as we go on. You know, another thing that I'll say that. Um, that really, it, it's not a requirement for a CEO and when they're uh, identifying a partner, but it ended up being important to us is Gavin and I can really sympathize with each other uh, from a, 
outside the business from our, we're both at similar state. We're both, we're, I think we're a month, month difference in age. You know? Again, this, <laughs> this isn't a requirement, but it's really helped us. We're at similar stages in life. We, we both, you know, love being parents. We have children of the same age range. Um, you know, we're both, uh, married. Um, it's, um, you know, the things outside of the business are important too. I mean, Gavin indicated, you know, are you a, you know, there's two different spectrums. There's a lifestyle business and there's a growth business. And we, you know, but we don't want to spend a hundred percent of our time, you know, focusing on growing the business either. I mean, that we believe that, you know, we're helping each other achieve that life balance too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gavin just went on the, the Atlanta bike ride, uh, this past week from, uh, from Atlanta to Savannah with his 16 year old wow. son. All right. So he was able to comfortably take that week off and do that. And that's important to him. And those kind of things are important to me. This week, I spent Monday through Wednesday taking my oldest son, who's going to college. I went to his uh, university orientation. And so, um, you know, those things, those things were important to Gavin. And as part of that recruiting process, we identified those things as well. So we can sympathize with each other because we're both going through similar stages of life. Um, and that's been important too. So, you know, it's not all about business here. It's about having fun. It's about supporting one another. And, you know, we promote that on down throughout the organization. We encourage the VPs to take vacations, you know, and, and, and it's not all about business. I I think if you're focused on business, you know, 60 or 80 hours a week, you, unless you're that kind of, you know, entrepreneur that just like wants to live and breathe it constantly, then, then you're going to get burnt out. You know, and you're not going to have fun. And I think Gavin learned that as he got, as the business got to that threshold where it wasn't fun anymore. So you mentioned something a little bit earlier in the um, in the conversation about strategizing, right? And um, that's kind of my trade. I'm a strategist by profession, and I would love to to hear your perspective on on how you think about building a plan for the future growth of of Heritage. You know, we're in a very fragmented industry. Uh, the largest player in our space has about a 4% market share nationwide. So it's a very mom-and-pop industry. And we're, how big are they, just in terms of, like, either units or something? I, that's I think they're around 3.5 million units okay. nationwide. But it's very fragmented. Right. It's very local, very mom-and-pop. <laughs> And it's a very below-the-radar screen type of industry, which is what attracted me to it in the first place. So in terms of strategy, you know, I see a real opportunity in terms of departmentalizing certain functions. You know, as we grow as a company, as we bring on more units, job functioning and funneling specific functions to departments, as opposed to having an individual doing everything A through Z. I know it seems very basic, but it's a very, very important part of our long-term strategy. Uh, There are also a lot of uh, owners in our industry that are in their 60s, mid-60s, reaching that retirement. So we're seeing a lot of turnover in ownership. And we see this as a great opportunity to exchange, to to expand our footprint, not only in Atlanta, but into, you know, other states here in the Southeast. Will through acquisition? Correct. Very much so. Because we're very uh, vertical in terms of our service offerings. Uh, We have a construction and maintenance division within our company. We have a collection agency within our company. And these are natural extensions. They're ancillary to property management. I mean, we're not changing people's oil in their cars, but we are offering services that are very ancillary to our basic function of property management. So our construction and maintenance division, 
has grown tremendously. Our collection division has grown tremendously. We do property tax appeals in the common area. That's been a big growth area. Uh, we're consolidating insurance procurement. So there's strategically, there's a real value add by centralizing processes through vendor management in, as far as procuring favorable pricing for our communities through economies of scale. And do you have a formalized strategic planning process? How do you how do you actually come together to plan to take over the world? It's not formal right now. I mean, um, I think we're at the size right now where um, a lot of our conversations um, are just, you know, walking back and forth to each other's offices. I'll just pop in and we'll spend 15 minutes talking about issues. And, and things have been coming together that way. We, we, I like to walk personally. I've got my Fitbit on right now. Um, and we take uh, walking lunches. Oh. So it's, it's an informal process. You know, we, we don't, we, we currently, you know, it could, as we grow, you know, we're going to get to the point where, you know, we're going to develop those kind of strategic planning sessions. I mean, you know, uh, but right now we're, we, uh, it, it is informal right now. Got it. I'll say. And it's, it's interesting. So I think I heard you say, Gavin, that one of the reasons why you brought Mike in is because he had experience in growing a business. Um, and as I recall, Gavin, you worked with Tivana and you kind of helped them, you know, kind of grow their footprint. And so do you have a, a game plan or thought about what are the, you mentioned one of them, which is a departmentalization, but kind of what are your thoughts on what, what are the steps that are going to help, you know, have that hockey stick effect for Heritage? Um, it, it's really about um, as we grow and the, it's going to be about identifying the right people, you know, and it's going to be constantly challenging the org chart. Um, I know, you know, one thing I learned in the Tivana experience is um, in the latter stages when uh, Tivana was uh, being acquired by Starbucks, I learned from uh, Howard Schultz that he constantly challenges the org chart. I mean, it, it seemed like every three to six months, there'd be a, another huge announcement on an org chart restructure. I mean, when you, you say challenge the org chart, what does that mean? It means it, look at it and say, is this effective? You know, what is the exact role of this particular vice president or this director? Um, you know, what changes are happening in the industry? I mean, right now we're we're looking at, I just want to share something with you. We're looking at restructuring um, our, uh, we, what we call our client services department. You know, it's it's been, you know, on the org chart uh, of a certain way. And we're uh, we're coming together uh, with the VPs and other key people in the company that are stepping up and owning it, um, and listening to ideas about how we restructure uh, the client services department. And we're we're it's at the very beginning stages, so we are strategizing there. So we picked a topic and we said, you know, what's our customer service experience? How are issues being reported uh, by the homeowners? And you know, we're trying to get statistics together about. You know, I am big and, you know, at Tivana, uh, one of the areas I was responsible for was business intelligence and data analysis. So uh, one of the things I'm trying to bring to the table here is is data analysis. Analytics. And this, I would imagine, be a fairly data rich environment. It is. It is. So but I, I, I'm not seeing across, you know, I'm not inside of our competitors, but just listening uh, it doesn't seem like there's been a huge focus on data analytics in this mm. in this area. Um, so we're we're really you know we're in the middle of really getting our information together, uh, trying to you know 
get better insights into the business. You know, so we're combining people with data analytics, um, and we're you know we're just constantly again when I say constantly challenging the org chart. I think you you uh, you know we don't accept the status quo. Um, so we're going to move forward. I mean, the status quo is the killer. You know, we 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 take leadership seriously. We we invest in uh, leadership sessions. You know, for we had twenty one people in our company. Uh, come and sit through a leadership session given by the Columbus State University Leadership Institute. Um, we do annual retreats. You know, getting back to, you know, did we do real strategizing this year at our annual retreat? We, we I wouldn't say it was like what you would consider, you know, the kind of vision that you, you're talking about that we'll get to mm-hmm. on these formalized strategy sessions. But but right now we're just taking the steps. You know, we we, we aspire to be that kind of organized company that can, you know, really have, you know, better budget. Hey, listen, you're, you're succeeding, so don't worry. <laughs> but, Proof is in the pudding. But, um, but yeah, challenging the org chart, I think, is, is uh, have I done a good job of describing what I mean by that? The challenging, yeah. it, you know, because we're like, for instance, right now we're, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that we're, we've hired a, uh, we currently didn't have a VP level human resources person. So we've just uh, strengthened our human resources because we, I, I consider people the key, right? And, and Gavin does too. So we're investing in a VP of human resources. that's going to be starting in, in our company in August. Um, and we're excited about that. So as far as strategy goes right now, we've been focused on, since I've gotten to the company on people, you know, we haven't been focused necessarily on tools yet. We're leveraging the tools that Gavin had invested in previously. So we're focusing on improving the people, right? Um, getting the right people into the company as mm-hmm. we grow. And, you know, we, we're at the point where we feel like we don't have to replace people that exist in the company because we have that growth mentality, right? So we, we, we want to, we're bringing on more people. And as we bring on more people, we're putting them through, we, we intend to put them through greater scrutiny, right? With this VP of human resources coming in, we're going to be focusing on things. And, and we look across you know, bigger successful organizations like Google. I mean, a lot of people like to look at Google and there's a reason why they want to look at Google, right? Because they're so successful. So, but um, actually at my son's um, orientation, he's going to Miami University in Ohio, which is my alma mater. um, I, I actually was getting things from his orientation that are helping me think about how heritage is working. And one of those things was, um, you know, at the university, they were um, ex- trying to uh, uh, encourage the children or the students that are coming in to think about why they're at the university. And they're, they're not there, there to learn stuff, is how he said. You, you Really, the most important thing you're going to do is not learn stuff here. You're going to learn how to learn, and you're going to learn um, what's important when you get out in life. I mean, the, th- the skills that companies like Google are going to be looking for, and those things were... I'll just spout them off here. General cognitive ability, emergent leadership, ownership, humility, and expertise. And and they said in that order. So expertise is required, but it's the fifth most important thing that Google is looking for when they're looking for employees. And so we're currently challenging ourselves to say, do we think that could work at Heritage Property Management? You know, how important is community association management expertise uh, to the business? Um, and it is important, right? I mean, we, we have to have that expertise internally, but can we bring on people into this profession and teach them that expertise, right? So, so we're challenging our org structure even in a way to say, do we have all the levels we need? You know, are, are we too flat in certain areas? Do we need to have 
a junior CAM, CAM is this the acronym for Community Association Manager. Do we need um, a junior CAM or an entry-level CAM position, much like we came from Coopers and Lybrand, and we saw that kind of pyra- apprenticeship. Yeah, that pyramid structure. Yeah, and, and you've got, you know, do we need a management training program? I mean, so we're we're really thinking about all these things, and I'm not seeing it in our competitors right now. But you know, we don't we don't want to wait on our competitors or mimic our competitors. I mean, we're aware of we try to be aware of what our competition is doing, but um, we're really again don't accept the status quo, really rethink this thing. This industry is nascent. Uh, um, I mean, 1996, I think, was the implementation of the Condo Act. I don't know. I actually am a community association manager now. So I went through the process to understand what does it take to become a community, a licensed community association manager. And realistically, you can gain your license within a month. So, you know, we don't want to look for people that just in a month went out and got their community association manager license. And so, that's not the expertise we're looking for. Uh, and those aren't necessarily the most important skills we're looking for. So we're, we're challenging this. We're, we're not going to accept the status quo. We're investing in people. And, you know, I would, you know, we definitely want, as far as, you know, what we would love people listening to this uh, to take away is that, you know, we, we are, you know, this is a profession. Community association management is a profession. You can become licensed. Um, there are jobs available here. And we're interested in the best people. So, so I do want to make sure people do hear that, you know, coming out of this, um, this interview. Great. Great. Well, I'm just wondering if folks want to get in touch with you to hear more about what they've heard on today's show. How can they do that? We have a website, uh, www.heritageproperty.com. Main corporate offices are in Sandy Springs. Uh, We're at uh, the corner of Roswell Road and Northridge. And we also have a South Metro office in Fayetteville. And of course, uh, our main phone number is 770-451-8171. Great. Thanks so much for a great show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.